the one holiday that kind of gets overlooked a lot is Groundhog's Day. And I feel that's, and, and, I, and, and it's a disservice to all the groundhogs out there in the world. And it's in a disservice to us that we don't recognize this wonderful holiday of, of Groundhog's Day. And actually, that is going to be the title of my sermon today is Groundhog's Day. I want to make sure we understand. I'm going to be preaching about Groundhog's Day. All right. It's, it's great. Um, I don't know if you could put my title up there, Joyce. All right. And I want to make sure we all understand that's, uh, that's Groundhog's Day. That is not Phil, who is famous for Groundhog's Day. That's actually an, an aspiring groundhog who wants to become like Phil. He actually has a TikTok account, and so if you guys could support him. Um, I, asked, I asked Joyce. I said, Joyce, is that Phil? He's like, who's Phil? I'm like, the famous groundhog. He goes, well, I think that's just like an average groundhog just trying to make, make a living. And I said, well, that's, that's fair. We should probably put him up there. Um, but the first official Groundhog Day was celebrated on February 2nd, 1887 in Puxatawana, Pennsylvania, which, believe it or not, is four hours away from us. See, that's how close we are. That's why we should be celebrating this holiday. <laughs> the celebration has its roots in pre-Christian tradition brought to the U.S. by German immigrants to Puxatawana, Pennsylvania, where a pagan festival in Bollock, which was Christianized, where small animals were used to predict the weather. Phil, the famous groundhog of Puxatawana, comes out of his gobbler's nose, and if he sees his shadow, then it means there is six more weeks of winter. If he does not see his shadow, it means that there will be an early spring. And there are two golden scrolls, one for six weeks of winter, another one for an early spring. However, the scroll they read from is the one that Phil picks based on his ability to see his shadow. And the scroll starts with this. It reads, the many titles of Phil. The seers of seers, the prognosticator of all prognosticators, the rodent that can see into the future. This is no ordinary rodent. I want to make sure we understand. A prophet that peers into the future, giving us much-needed weather report. So now you will look at this groundhog very differently. His name is Phil. He has been around for 125 years. The average age of a groundhog is 10 years, if you guys were wondering, which I'm sure you were. He's 125 years old. That's what the legend says. So he keeps living. It's amazing. But again, a prophet who had a vision of what's coming ahead. There was also a prophet who had a vision of what's coming to the people of Israel. I want to talk about the prophet Ezekiel. A prophet who operated during the Babylonian captivity, where the people of Israel were forced to move to Babylon away from the promised land. And actually, God told the king of Israel, I want you to surrender and move to Babylon. And of course, he didn't listen. Very typical, right? And ultimately, he ended up paying his eyesight. 
Uh, it actually got gouged out. So the Bible is very graphic, just so you guys know. Um, and so then eventually they moved everybody to Babylon. But here's Ezekiel. He gets called during the Babylonian captivity. And he is a seer of seers, a legitimate seer of seers. And he's a prognosticator, just so you guys know. That's another term you can take home with you for this week. If you're ever at a party or something, you can say prognosticator so that people realize um, you're very intelligent. So Ezekiel 37, verse 1. I want to read from this incredibly important passage of Scripture. The hand of the Lord was on me, and I'm reading the net version. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and placed me in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. He made me walk all, around, all among them, and I realized there were a great many bones in the valley, and they were very, very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said to the sovereign Lord, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and tell them, dry bones, listen to the Lord's message. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Look, I'm about to infuse breath into you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you and muscles over you and will cover you with skin. And I'll put breath in you, and you will live. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and there was a sound when I prophesied. I heard rattling, and the bones came together, bone upon bone to bone. And as I watched, I saw tendons on them. Then muscles appeared, and then skin covered over them from above, but there was no breath in them. He said to them, prophesy to the breath and the prophesy son of man, and say to the breath, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these corpses so that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an extremely great army. Then he said to me, son of man, or better translated, human one, these bones are the house of Israel. Look, they are saying, our bones are dry, and hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesize and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I am about to open your graves, and you will raise you from your graves, my people. I will bring you to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, my people. I will place my breath in you, and you will live. I will give you rest in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will act, declares the Lord. What an amazing passage of Scripture. I have spoken. That's the end of it. I have spoken. I will declare it. End of story. This passage of Ezekiel is probably one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament. The evocative imagery of a valley of bones, which could have been a place of a great battle that took place, dead soldiers left to decay under the hot Middle Eastern sun, or might have been a mass grave where villages and families killed for whatever ill intentions. We don't know. All we know is that Ezekiel finds himself at a mass grave filled with despair, disjointed, disarrayed bones. Dry bones 
is an explanation that the bones were so beyond repair or recognition that even an animal would not bother eating there. It is interesting we find God at the mass grave. What an interesting place to find God. One would think to find God at a beautiful cathedral or an ostentatious palace or the White House, but no, we find God at a mass grave, a place we would all try to avoid, and a place of hopelessness. We find God speaking to his prophet and to speak to these dry and dusty bones. That's something to be said about God being in bad places. Where is God in all this? He's right in the midst. He's always been in the midst. He doesn't abandon you. He's always there. The valley of bones was resurrected by God. What looked like a mess, disorganized and disheveled, God organized and put the right bones with the right people. If God would have stopped there, that would have been a miracle. But no. Then he puts muscle on each of the bodies and what looks like an anatomy class poster with all the muscles exposed. If he would have stopped there, that would have been a miracle. But no, then he puts skin on all the bodies that were left to decay with time. A scary sight of dead bodies, lifeless, suspended in thin air, bodies that were forgotten about. There was not a grave marker or anything to remind who these people were. These people were forgotten, ignored, ultimately disappeared from people's memory. I was walking with the kids to the park the other day, and they were talking about, you know, my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And, you know, we like to talk about grandfathers and grandmothers in my family. And they were like, what is your great-grandfather's name again? It's Jafar Goli. And, and, I, I, and they were like, they couldn't even pronounce it. You know, they just had no clue who I was talking about. Of course, my, my middle son, his middle name is named after him. He's a big deal in my family's life. He had a big impact on my father's life. And so I wanted to make sure that my son knew that. But with time... They're not going to know who that is. Jafar Koli who? Who is, or the American way to say it, Jeffrey. It's a little easier to say than Jafar Koli, but I like Jafar Koli better. Who is Jeffrey? Forgotten with time. Ultimately, that's, that's life, right? We just, eventually we forget. That's what brings Death. So there stood lifeless dead bodies of those who were deceased long ago. And the greatest miracle is when God looks at the prophet and says, speak to the breath, the ruach, or better yet, the spirit, and command it to enter these lifeless bodies. And the spirit of the Lord enters these bodies, bringing them back to life. And God explains to Ezekiel that the graves that they think they live in are about to be opened, and I will put breath inside of you and cause you to live. I have spoken. I will act. There is no arguing with this message that God is in the restoration business. He is always trying to restore that which is dead. He will make new that which was dead. He will move forward with time, and he will go ahead and restore whatever has died in your life. If he can restore dry, dead, disheveled bones, I'm sure he can take care of your life. If he can organize bones that have been forgotten about where they're going, it's a mass grave. I don't even know why it's there, but it's just this elephant graveyard. He remembers everything. He organized everything. And dusty, dry, 
bones that were not even recognizable, he puts together and makes an army. We can move forward in time to the fourth gospel where we find Jesus having heard that Lazarus is sick and needs to head over to Bethany to heal his friend. However, Jesus intentionally delays his trip so that Lazarus would die. I'll read that again. Jesus intentionally delayed his trip so that Lazarus would die. Jesus intentionally delays things in order to show you who he is. He has his own agenda, folks. I don't control the spirit. God controls the spirit. You command the spirit. But see, those those lifeless bodies, nothing's going to happen with those lifeless bodies unless God fills it with his spirit. He controls. And this is a spirit. I mean, I like the analogy of Star Wars and, you know, the force. And you can, like, manipulate the force. And people kind of, like, use that for the spirit. You don't get to manipulate the spirit. It has its own agenda. You don't get to manipulate the gifts and, the, and prophesy and the gifts of the spirit. Oh, no. The gifts of the spirit have a particular agenda, and it's his agenda. All right. There's no way. You're not getting rid of that. You're not going to be able to manipulate the spirit. But here is God intention delays in order to see to show to the disciples who he is. So we get to John chapter 11, verse 15. And of course, he got messages and everybody's saying, we need to go and we have to hurry up and get to Lazarus. And, and when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days already. Why is that significant? Why is it important that he's been in the tomb for four days Well, the idea was that this is what the belief was, the rabbinical belief, is that the soul would just hover around the body for three days. But after three days, it would depart from the body. This is not biblical literature. This is what the time of what the people believed. So God wanted to make sure this was a complete miracle. He wanted to make sure there was no doubting that somehow the, the soul just happened to enter back into this dead body. And they would say, well, see, let's go ahead and explain away God's miracle. Because we, we tend to do that, right? We tend to explain away God's miracle. Just easier that way. We don't then have to commit our life to him. That's, that's, that's kind of terrible. But we just explain away, explain away. This is kind of what's happening here. And he wanted to make sure there was no way to explain away this, this, this miracle. Tomb it for four days already. Verse 8, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Martha and Mary to console them over the loss of their brother. So obviously, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all those guys are just, they're just walking outside just to see where they could criticize Jesus. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I like that. Martha, Martha speaks her mind. If you just would have been here. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. It's okay. And Jesus replied, your brother will come back to life again. And Martha said, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection At the last day. He'll come back when we all get resurrected. And Jesus said to her, sweetheart, 
I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never, never die. Do you believe this? What do you do with a statement like that? She replied, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who comes into the world. She deflects. I know you're, you're the Messiah. Yes, Lord, I know you're the Messiah. That doesn't answer the question. He says, do you believe I'm the resurrection? He says, I know you're the Messiah. Do you believe I'm the life? I know that God sent you. So he's just, she's kind of being deflecting and careful with this. Because what, what Jesus is saying is so ridiculous that even she has a hard time saying it. I'm the resurrection. Sure you are, Jesus. 28. And when she, when she had said this, Martha went and called her sister Mary. So Mary didn't even come out to greet Jesus. She was just hanging out in the kitchen. They didn't even want to see Jesus. Probably mad at Jesus for being late. And we get mad at Jesus too when he's late. And guess what? Jesus is late a lot. So you're going to be mad a lot. He's never early. Never, ever. I've never seen God come early on anything. He's always really, really late. In my view, from my perspective, he's always super late. But from God's perspective, he's like, all right, I'm here. You're here? Everything's about to fall apart. He's like, good. You're not going to take any credit. You thought you did it by yourself. No, I'm the one that puts everything in order. I wanted you to recognize it was me, not you. But good, I'm glad everything's a mess. That's where I hang out. I hang out in messes. That's my favorite place to be. There he is, so he's in the mess. So Mary's saying privately, the teacher's here, and she's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had come out to meet him. Then the people who were with Mary in the house consoling her saw her get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought she was going to go to the, to the tomb to weep there. They thought she was going to go back to the tomb and weep there. Now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in the spirit, greatly distressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp here for a little bit. This is something sometimes we lose in the interpretation. It's just not that he's distressed. A better translation is he's angry. He's mad. Is he mad at Mary? No, 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 no. He's mad at death. Because Satan tosses death to scare people. And he weeps. That's the next verse. Is he, he weeps for that. He's mad. He's angry. 
He's mad at the devil. He's mad that they don't realize what's in front of them. Because all their life, when someone dies, that's the end of it. There's a finality with death. There is no coming back from death. Nobody comes back from death. When someone dies, that's the end of it. You just remember them. Only the memories. But here is the resurrection. And they don't understand that. And he gets mad at the devil because he's been far too long twisting and lying and leading people astray and reminding them that they don't have power over death. And he wants to realize that he's going to take that away. I will take death away. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Thus the people who had come to mourn said, look how much he loved him. They don't even realize why he's weeping. But some of them said, this is the man who caused the blind to see. Couldn't have done the same thing to keep Lazarus from dying. They still don't get it. They seen him heal the blind man. They seen him raise you know, somebody from the paraplegic, they've seen him kind of heal people of cancers, but they've never seen anybody bring somebody back from the dead. So they go back to what they know. They go back to what they understand. They go back to what they experience. They've only experienced him. What has he experienced? They've only experienced him heal. Do, do you know, put, 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 go out limbs or whatever it might be, but they've never seen this extreme of a healing. This craziness of a healing. So they don't understand. And Jesus intensely moved again, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone has been placed across it. Verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, replied, Lord, by this time, the body would have a bad smell because he's been buried for four days. He's corrupted. And remember, this is the Middle East. It's hot. Dead bodies decay. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you that you have listened to me. I knew that you would always listen to me, but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing around here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The one who had died came out, his feet and hands tied up with the strips of the cloth, and the cloth had wrapped around his face. And Jesus tells him, unwrap him and let him go. Can you imagine what a shocking that image that might have been? And the Im imagery of Ezekiel and the Valley of Bones gets conjured up in the mind of the people there as they see Jesus do something only God can, bring somebody back from the dead. And that's, if you read a little further on, that's when they say, we have to kill this guy. All right, it's, it was clear to them. The language, I'm going to pull you out of graves. You just read Ezekiel. I'm going to open up your graves. I'm going to go ahead and bring you out of your graves. And here is Jesus opening up graves and bring somebody back from the dead. He's conquered death. And that made them panic because only God could conquer death. That would mean Jesus is God. They couldn't handle that. They couldn't comprehend that. And they said they had to get rid of him. 
because they understood what Jesus was doing. Jesus was bringing back dry bones. Only God could do that. And this is something that causes unbelievers to fear this man, a God that conquers death. So God is not limited to six weeks of winter. God is not limited to tell you, okay, it looks like spring is coming. See, God can see the end. The end end. I'm not just talking about the end of spring. I'm talking about the end of time. And here's the cool thing. God can change it. He doesn't say, oh, look, something's coming. Good luck. Something's bad's coming. Good luck, guys. I just want to make sure you guys, I can't, I have no power to do that. No, no, he could change it. God is bigger than Phil. Again, I, I don't want you guys to walk out of here and have prejudice against groundhogs. That's, that's the whole, that defeats the whole purpose of this message. I believe in groundhogs. I think they're important animals in the ecosystem of life. But I want us to realize that we already have a prognosticator. His name is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is in the business of making things new. He wants to resurrect things in your life. He wants to resurrect things in your marriage. He wants to resurrect things that dreams that have died in your life. He wants to resurrect plans that you might have had for him and you thought they were over. And he says, I will resurrect that. He wants to resurrect your relationships. Maybe you have an estranged relationship with your family. And he says, I can fix that. I'm in the restoration business, and I just don't restore. I make new. I make completely new. Thank you, Jesus. The music could come. I got word yesterday, a giant in my life passed away. Giant in my life. No one would ever know who he is. Gilmer Lewis. And he was a big deal in my life. He actually, him and his wife, taught me a Bible study when I first came to church. And um, we had a year and a half Bible study. We went from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Big deal in my life. A faithful, faithful man. Faithful, faithful man. He went on to his eternal reward. He's going to be just fine. But it, it bothered me yesterday. It really did. A giant in my life. No one knows who he is, but he's a big deal to me. And one thing I loved about him was he was so faithful. He was so faithful. He was a mechanic. And um, he was a mechanic that was not a good businessman. He just would fix people's stuff for really low cost. He was always struggling. <laughs> Literally, he built that church. He he witnessed to so-and-so, and they brought their family, and then all their kids are in church. And then he witnessed to so-and-so, and they brought their kids, and all their kids are in church. Literally, like, I want to say 60% of that church was built because of him and his wife. Just faithful, faithful, faithful people. And he was in the restoration business, too. He was always teaching a Bible study. I always respected that. They always had somebody they were teaching. And I remember they would, you know, I went there, and of course it was so great. They would always have some fun treats. And I would sit there, and as a 17-year-old, I would drive 45 minutes to a Bible study. Because they lived, they lived in Grand Ledge. I was all the way out there in East Lansing, Michigan. And um, great times, great times, just sitting down and just 
talking about the Word of God. And I remember we, we got through the entire Bible because at this point I've just been baptized. You know, I've, I've taken on his name. I knew that was important. Went through the entire Bible. Then I realized as we did the entire Bible, read verse by verse, I realized I didn't have the Holy Ghost. And I, I was kind of panicking. And I remember I, I, uh, I asked him, I was like, well, what, you know, I don't have the Holy Ghost. What do I, what do, I do? And he said, relax. He said, if you're driving 45 minutes to a Bible study on a Saturday night, I think you'll be just fine. You'll get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad you have a lot of faith in me, Gilmer, because I don't have a lot of faith in me. <laughs> and, and sure enough, six months later, I did get the Holy Ghost. I was filled with God and his spirit, and he came inside of me, and he restored me, changed my dreams, changed my plans, became his plans. I won't regret ever that decision I made. But he just always had that positive view. Once they had God's eyes, he just saw the best in people. And just a faithful, faithful man. But it's so important that we recognize that this God is in the restoration business. That's the one thing I learned is because he restored him. The more I spent time with him, the more I learned about him. His life was a mess. Just grew up dirt poor from West Virginia. I don't know how he ended up in Michigan, but West Virginia and didn't even have a bathroom, indoor plumbing. Eventually, um, Linda taught him a Bible study and he came to the church and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And then he moved and they, they built this house and um, he had a very short fuse. He told me the first week they got married, his wife laid out a table for him and, you know, just to surprise him for dinner. And he, got, he came in and he just, tossed the table aside, broke all the dishes. And I said, well, Gilmer, why did you do that? He goes, because I was a young, arrogant fool, and God still had a lot of work on me. He did. See, I recognized this finished product. See, I, I recognized this incredibly patient and kind and always looking at the positive things, but he, he began to kind of tell me about his life, just how his life was such a mess. But because he stayed in the church and because he stayed with God, God continued to change him. Yeah. He's a great guy. Great guy. It's faithfulness. Faithfulness. Do you believe that God wants to restore some things in your life? Well, it's impossible. You're right. It is impossible. But you, you forgot you have God with you. We sometimes forget that. See, when you're in the mess, you don't see God. You think he's somewhere else. But if we look in the scriptures, that's exactly where he is. He's always in the mess. He's always right in the midst of whatever that's going on in your life. Are we going to listen to him? Are we going to trust him? Are we going to believe him that he will restore? We could stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
Lord, let me have a faithful life like Gilmer, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He never held an office, never was licensed, wasn't a minister, but just faithful. Just a faithful, solid saint. It's amazing. A young guy appreciates that. I like stability. I do. I like stability. In a world of instability, I like faithfulness and constant people who are always talking about the goodness of God and the goodness of people. Because God, that's how he sees. He sees what you can be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, we worship you. Lord, we trust in you. God, we do understand who you are. We understand when you say you're the resurrection Jesus that you are going to restore and bring to life, God, that which is dead. We understand, Jesus, there's no such thing as death in your kingdom. Life will be with you, Jesus. We will never die again, Lord. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore, Jesus. We have to just understand, Lord God, it's the next thing to you, Lord. And Lord, we move forward, Jesus. Whether Satan tempts it with us, whether Satan scares it with us, whether Satan comes in in the midst of our mess and tries to distract us and get us worried and questioning and wondering what we're going to do, you're there in the midst saying, I can organize that. I can put that back together. I know how to put disjointed bones back together. I know how to put disjointed bones that have been forgotten for centuries. I know how to put it back together and make new. Don't you think I can do that in your life? Don't discount me and what I can do. Do you lean on me? Do you trust in me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. I invite you to pray in your pew or up at these altars. Get a hold of this miracle-working God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can pray for that. You can get God and his spirit inside of you. You just have to release control. Oh, thank you, God. You're so faithful, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I feel disjointed, Lord God. I feel out of sorts, God. Help me, Jesus.